dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Even though written 1,500 years ago, Pope St. Gregory the Great's landmark treatise on the rule of shepherds continues to provide valuable insight to us today about what it means to lead. Notably, he says that leaders have to be virtuous. Why is this? What's the role of virtue in leadership? This last class in the series closes out our treatment of this great document by comparing the virtuous rule with the rule of the wicked. Thanks, everybody, for being back again. I'm so glad to have this chance to meditate on something so important with you all, namely what leadership really is and what it's not, and more importantly, what role your faith has in making you a better leader. So first of all, I just want to remind you all of what makes leaders so great. Leadership training is not something that just businesses do in order to make more money. Sometimes we have that impression. People talk about being leaders and they say, okay, well, that's something that we do in the world of business. And I just want to point out to you that's not true at all. Uh, They do it in the world of business because businesses are smart and they realize that if we can make our human activities better, we will make them more profitable. We will generate a culture that's more life-giving for the employees and so forth. But I would like to ask, well, why aren't we doing the same thing in our families? And why aren't we doing the same things uh, in our society? I mean, if you get right down to it, leadership is about change. It's about seeing what change needs to be made. It's about planning how to do that change in the best of ways, in the most efficient of ways. It's about actually effectuating that change. And it's about bringing other people on board to continue in that same vein that you've had. You go back, you think about the American Revolution and you say, this is exactly what they did. These guys were underneath the British. They said, we want to change. We want to get out from British rule. They had the vision, therefore, to begin a new country, even though they didn't have a great plan of what to do after it. They knew that it would require war and emancipation. And so they went for they issued their declaration of independence they fought the good battle they went in the, all the all the, the troubles that they had to go through in order to win that that freedom and then afterwards they brought a whole country along in it and so without them where would we be well without any leader where would we be all leadership has that in common we're talking about how i make the changes that i know i need to make And then how do I make them in the best way, in the most efficient way, and in a way that other people can actually benefit from? Folks, this is what this is what we need to be studying. Because not only in our church today, but the calls of evangelization, but in our families, it's we need to think to ourselves, how can I more effectively be that leaven in the dough, be that lighthouse on the shore, to actually bring my children, my family, my spouse my business, my people, into the place where it needs to be. As soon as you stop trying to make that change, you stop being a leader. 
And so if you have a post of leadership, either, either in our civil society or if you have a post of leadership in your business and you aren't effectuating that change or trying to make this world the better one, then you actually are failing in your exact post. And that makes it even worse, of course. No one wants to be a failure as a dad. No one wants to be a failure as a mom. Well, no one wants to be a failure as a boss either. Well, what, how do I keep it going? I need to understand leadership. Look at the history of leadership. Study leadership, right? And so that's why we're reading this document by Pope Gregory the Great because he was an amazing leader. He had to effectuate peace and bring peace at a time when the church is being uh, attacked by all kinds of different tribes. There's all kinds of politics involved. The geopolitical center had moved from Rome to Constantinople and the Pope was in the middle of everything. How in the world was he going to lead his church and lead his lands, the, uh, the places of Italy, uh, effectively in the name of Christ? We have two options. He could have backed down and said, I really don't care about all of this. I want to be a monk. But he didn't, even though he wanted to be a monk. Truth is, he had founded monasteries in the plural so that he could escape and be quiet and pray and be with God and, and enjoy the fruits of contemplation. But when he was summoned to be the Pope, which was far from a contemplative vocation, he actually uh, acquiesced, allowed that to be the case, and then served arduously. So when he writes, as he does in chapter nine, that being at the head of leadership is nothing else than being in a mental storm, he knew exactly what he was saying. Here's what he writes. He says, Nevertheless, it is generally the case that the very practice of good deeds, which was maintained in tranquility, is lost in the occupation of government. Since even an unskillful pe person guides a ship along a straight course in a calm sea, but in one disturbed by the waves of tempest, even the skilled sailor is confounded. For what is eminent rule but a tempest of the mind? in which the ship of the heart is ever shaken by hurricanes of thought, is incessantly driven hither and there, so as to be shattered by sudden excesses of word and deed, as if by opposing rocks. <laughs> it's really funny because, you know, as a priest, I hear that, and I think to myself, of all of the mothers who have come to me, you know, saying, you know, re rearing their little children at ages, you know, zero to eight, is just the most taxing thing possible and that their mind is just completely, you know, splintered in so many directions and that they used to think that they were holy and had everything down and had time for prayer and now they have no time for anything and it just is driving them crazy. And I love it because the reason it's driving them crazy is because they're actually mothering, right? To actually mother, to actually do the deed requires that you sacrifice the calmness of mind and even the, the the practice of things that you thought were good and easy in the past. You have to sacrifice to be a leader, sacrifice to be a mother, sacrifice to be in charge, sacrifice the dignity of walking through this world, you know, placidly and without any kind of disturbance. You're just making your way through life. No, that's not what happens when you lead. When you lead, according to Pope Gregory the Great, you enter into a mental storm. You have to make changes all the time because you're responsible for every little thing that happens, the problems that come your way. Everyone looks to you and says, who is it that's making these waves? Who is it that's causing these problems? And you say to yourself, I'm not causing the problems. I'm solving the problems. But that's not what they see. 
They don't care if you, you think you're solving the problem. You're solving the problems because you see, you have the vision of where you're going and you see the impact of what you're doing. But for those who don't see that impact, you have to constantly convince them that not only what you're doing is right, but that you have the actual right to do it. And yet that is exactly what it means, my friends. If you really want to be an agent of Jesus Christ in this world, it says it in the Bible. If you want to do something good, prepare for battle. And that means prepare to war against yourself, your own self-doubt, your own insecurities. Prepare to be tested at every fiber of your being because what you're trying to do is something great. If you don't try to do the great thing, you will have the world's kind of peace, but you won't have the peace of Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave his apostles peace and then sent them to the four corners of the world. Peace didn't keep them from acting. Peace was the cause of their action. There's nothing more disturbing than peace. When you realize God's peace in your soul, you are prompted. St. Paul says that the love of Christ, urgent in Latin, urgent, and urgent means goads, goads me on. It's like a, a thorn that pushes me to into action. I can't just sit back and allow the world to go down because I did nothing. I cannot sit back and allow the, 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 the souls to be lost because I refuse to make waves. That's the heart of a leader. I can't go sit back and allow all of the greatness that my technology could bring, all of the wonders that the food that I could serve could happen, all of the great peace that a new restaurant could give to our civil society. I can't allow that to not be there simply because it would make my life uncomfortable. That's why you guys are the great, the great ones of our world. And that's why the church is behind you. And that's why we at the St. John Institute are here to support you because we believe in you and what you're trying to do for our world. Do you believe in yourself? I want you just today to take stock of the greatness that's inside of every one of you that's listening and the great things that Christ is calling you to. And if you took stock of that, would you be willing to trade your comfort for that change? That's really the question at the heart of the decision to lead. This is Father Nathan. I know that many of you listening are looking for a better place to be. You're not happy necessarily with what's going on in the world. You're not happy with where your life is going and you wonder if there's any way to go forward. That's why we started the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. The idea is simple. Move to Denver, live with a community of your peers, earn a master's degree in any subject from any university and become a saint while doing it. Check us out at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So Pope Gregory the Great writes this awesome book on the rule of shepherds. And we're in chapters 8 through 11 of the first book. And these chapters talk about what manner of person ought to rule and what manner of person ought not to rule. And the very first thing that I think is important here is that he puts it out there. Frankly, it's not a matter of the humble being the one who doesn't want to rule and the proud being the one that wants to rule. And I found that very consoling. Because a lot of times in the church, we have a, a way of speaking that makes it sound like there's something wrong with people that actually want to be in charge. It's almost like, Frank, you shouldn't be that way. Don't step forward and volunteer and say you can do it when we all know that we ought not to try to do things that are important. 
right? It, and poor Frank, so Frank spends his whole life saying, gosh, if I'm gonna do something, I guess I'm gonna have to do it in the secular world where I guess proud people are rewarded. I mean, you know, and that's simply not the case. Uh, Pope Gregory the Great makes it very clear. He says, look, there are those who actually kind of run away from leadership. Like you have, for example, Moses, when God asks him to lead, and he says, you know, who am I to do that? But then you also have people like Isaiah, where God calls his name and he says, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, you, you have examples of thinking of Barnabas, who goes willingly with St. Paul, or Mark, or Timothy, or Titus. They jump right up and they work with St. Paul. St. Paul himself, who decides to go out and evangelize where no one had gone before. You have many examples of apostles that actively said, I will go and I'm looking to make that change. Imagine if Mother Teresa walked around the earth saying, oh, I, I don't know what my life is all about. You know, how dark and how sad we would all be without Mother Teresa. Well, what allowed Mother Teresa to be Mother Teresa? Well, she had the gumption to say, I will do everything I can for the poorest of the poor. So obviously there's a, a place for those who humbly try to wait to see if God is really calling them into leadership. But he's also very severe, St. Pope Gregory the Great, to say that, you know what, if you have the ability to lead and you are a good person and yet you refuse to do so, you're actually sinning. So he, he not only says that you can step into leadership if you want to, you can also acquiesce, but if you can make a difference and God calls you to make that difference and you refuse to make that difference out of a pseudo humility, you're actually hiding your treasures in the ground. And there's a parable in the, in the gospels where Christ speaks about the punishment that is due for those who do that. And so Pope Gregory the Great says, no, you've got to step forward. And I just want to put it in a little bit more of a modern day scenario and say, why is it that everyone is so willing to spend their energies doing things that they don't believe in and becoming better leaders, better, more convicted people, better inventors, and yet you don't even really necessarily believe in your product. I mean, you're making whatchamacallit, so you're making cars, you're doing this or that, and you're saying to yourself, I wish I could do something more significant in my life. I say, why, why is it that the world claims significance and we in Christianity act as if we don't need it? When in the meantime, our churches, our institutions, our apostolates, they're all starving for people that can step up and make the difference. I'd like to make a bridge and suggest that everybody who thinks that they're looking for significance can find that significance by placing their talents at the service of these awesome missions. And at the same time, though, I also would like to say that the missions and the, of the church has everything to say towards a worldly perspective. Obviously not in an ultimate way, but can't we take our faith and apply all of that drive and education that we get about Jesus and his love to the making of the whatchamacallits and the making of the things that seem insignificant because it's not the product that we focus in on. It's the process and the people. And by focusing in on the product, we allow ourselves to focus in on the people and on the process and on this amazing truth that business is the thing that integrates our world. It's where people come across socioeconomic spectrums. It's where people's problems can be healed. Business is a place of immense cooperation and a value for our world. Right? And so be it in business or be it in the church, it comes down to the same thing. Leadership is required. And I'm here to summon you to step into that.
wherever you are and to not act like somehow or other your faith means that you will play a role of perpetually following (laughs) christ didn't call people to follow the world he called people to change it he called people to lead it in his name to capture the energies and the imaginations and the customs and the cultures of entire societies and make them his instruments so that he could be glorified and his love could be given Folks, this is an immensely important task. It's the task of salvation itself, but it can't be done without leaders. And that's why Pope you know, Gregory the Great's treatise is amazing because he says, yes, it's okay for a little while to say, you know what, this is probably too big for me. You know? But at the same time, he says, if God continues to call you to it, then you need to follow and have the true humility to accept the greatness that he's calling you to instead of running away from it with many types of excuses. Because when we don't lead in the name of Christ, someone else leads in someone else's name. And we're here to bring the name of Jesus to be glorified, right? All right, so focusing in, he then asks the question, well, what kind of person ought to be the one who leads? And this is just a beautiful thing. He says, the man who ought to lead ought to be someone who already lives spiritually, dying to all the passions of the flesh, who disregards worldly prosperity. See, so right away he's saying the first point to being able to lead is that you don't focus in on this world as if it was everything. So first thing for all you Christian business people out there listening, I want you to hear this clearly. You are in a place of business. You're in a place of worldly leadership. I understand that. But your heart must be in heaven. Put your heart in heaven and your hands and feet on the earth. But if you keep, you put your heart on the earth, then you'll be pursuing business just for the sake of doing business. And while that's a fine thought, it's a fine thing, I suppose, it's also worldly and will come to an end. The thing that doesn't come to an end is the charity of the saint who says, my heart belongs in heaven and that's why I'm doing my business. So as to do my business for values that don't fade away and to make a difference that will last. So he says, then the next line he puts, and this is just a great one, the next quality of someone who ought to lead, he says, is someone who is afraid of no adversity. Isn't that a great line? That comes from a person who actually knows what he's talking about. The Pope has had so much adversity. So right away he says, they ought to be not worldly focused. You know, in the sense that you need to know the world, but you can't belong to it. The second thing, don't be afraid of adversity. Isn't that reassuring? We live in a culture today where so many people just think life is supposed to be comfortable. And when it's not, then suddenly they think they're doing something wrong. You know, or they're like, oh my goodness, I'm making waves. I'm so sorry. You know, people don't like me. I guess I'm screwing it up. And he's like, no, be prepared for adversity. It's the second line he puts right there. You need to not be afraid of that. To not be afraid of the conflict that your change is going to effectuate. Why? Because all change implies conflict. We don't focus on the conflict, but we sure as heck focus on the change. (laughs) This is Father Nathan. I know a lot of people are formed in leadership in ways that are very practical and efficient. This is good, of course, but is there something more? Coming to the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado, young adults are able to learn not only how to lead effectively, but how to lead in the spirit. Anchoring a master's degree in specific business skills in prayer and spirituality. Find out more at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. 
All right, so let's finish book one here of his rule for shepherds. And we're just by looking at chapters nine and 10 and what he says a good shepherd is and what a good shepherd is not. And of course, we can apply this to our own leadership today. And he, you know, he says not only must a good shepherd not be worldly in his motives, but he also has to not be afraid of conflict or of adversity. He goes on, he says, the person needs to desire only inward wealth. That's an amazing insight. The quality of a leader, it needs to be not only that your heart's in heaven, but that what you want to do is amass true excellence, human excellence on the inside, inward wealth. That's neat because it means that your leadership is not going to only be at the effective level of giving command for an order or a sequencing of events to effectuate change, but you need to lead lead from the inside by inspiring those under you to go for the higher things and to live a better life. And that, and that doesn't just mean by having more things. It means living a better life by living life better, to have this excellence of soul. It's, a, it's an amazing quality because think about the positions that you have. You own a company. You manage a whole department in your company. You, you are that chief nurse on a, a whole floor of nurses. You have people looking up to you. Don't let them down by just being someone who manages the day. By being an excellent person and by desiring that inward wealth of virtue and its actions, you actually can influence them more profoundly than simply going through the workday. And you don't even have to say anything. But if you are excellent, and you typify and show that excellence of behavior, you will raise the temperature of the water of everyone around you. You'll bring be like a tide that lifts up all the ships. He goes on in chapter 11 to then talk about what a bad leader looks like. And I don't think we have to even really go into it that much because honestly, you all know what a bad leader looks like. <laughs> you know when you've got one. He begins, of course, and he says, the very first sign of a bad leader is that they don't have discernment that they lack in the intelligence of seeing what is good and what is bad. Now this, of course, this goes segues beautifully into what Pope Benedict said when he stood in front of the whole German government and the Reichstag in Berlin, and he issued an address saying, what makes a good leader is someone who has wisdom to discern good from bad. And if you have the wisdom to discern good from bad, the right from wrong, well, then you can actually lead. Now, I hear what you're saying. You're like, well, in my job, there's not a lot of that discernment that's necessary. And I would say, yes, there is. Because the words that you use in the meetings, the way that you encourage your people, the incentivization programs that you roll out, when you know that the workflow is too intense, even in a very limited environment where the leadership is actually very effectual, well, at, at, even there, your discernment of what is right and wrong is capital because virtue is based on that ability. And and that's not even most of the people. Most people manage and lead in a way where you do have an impact on making decisions that are ethically based. And it's just, it's, it's essential for us. He says, if you don't know, or you walk into that place, not knowing what's right or wrong, you have no place leading. You won't be able to actually lead well, you're going to lead them down the wrong pathway. And I want to emphasize this because this is a spot where your Catholic faith plays such an important role for you. People today are are absolutely mesmerized by the prospect that perhaps there is no right or wrong. 
People are not confident that they're able themselves to say with conviction where they're going. I'd like to say that's the death of leadership because when we do that, we give the principle of the economy all moral sway. The only thing that we know we have to do is produce more whatchamacallits and produce them faster. My friends, this is no way to live. When we follow that path and we allow the economy or economic factors to be the principal form of moral judgment in our lives, we end up becoming the slave of the economy and the disparagement between rich and poor, it becomes enormous. We can't do this. Well, what is it that keeps the economy in check? Virtue. Virtuous leadership is what will allow us to both understand the importance of economic growth and economic profit, but also understand what it's for. And that, of course, goes all the way into motherhood, fatherhood. It would be like you saying, I don't know how to rear the kids. All I'm here to do is put food on the table for them. All I'm here to do is provide them with an environment of security. No, that's not all you're there to do. (laughs) Motherhood or fatherhood implies that, but it is so much more. Leadership is so much more. And you open the door to that when you understand the beauty of God's law and the perpetual truth that's found in the Bible as a basis of instruction for your mind in what is right or wrong. Taking God's word coming from the Bible and then applying that in your life, you lead this world in the way of God. After that, the Pope goes on to say that a great leader is one who doesn't become weighed down by earthly care. Here's a beautiful image. He says, he says that a bad leader is like someone who is badly stooped over to the point that he never looks up to the things that are above being weighed down by earthly cares but is only intent on what is trodden on among the lowest. And he, should he ever hear anything of the good things of the heavenly country, is so pressed down by the weight of perverse custom that he lifts not the face of his heart to it, being unable to erect the posture of his thought. I think that's so profound. You and I are not called to be like that, my friends. No matter how bad it is and how weighty the different cares on your heart, lift up your eyes to the heavenly country. Allow hope to possess you so that you can radiate that hope to everyone around you. To lead in from the inside means to lead from the confidence and the joy of victory. And possessing that by Jesus Christ, we lift up this whole sad world and everyone not knowing where they're going or why they are with this confident proclamation, Christ is risen from the dead. This world is worth fighting for and we're going to be the ones to do it. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.